So most of us, I think even the youngest of us, can look back in our lives and say that we have made decisions that we wish we could take back. We're sinners. We have done things that were foolish, uh, even rebellious against the Lord. And many times those things have caused entanglements or sufferings in our lives. Some of those are short-lived and we seem to extract ourselves from them. Some of them are, are long, long term. And today I want you to have that in mind as you listen to this message. We're, it's the first day of Advent. And Advent is when we rehearse, celebrate, remember the first coming of Christ and, and look forward to his second coming. And we're going to do that first, through 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8 today. And what we want to see there is this. In, in our foolishness, in our sin, in our bad decisions, that the Lord is merciful to give his foolish people a gracious and mighty king. And so by the end of this, I'm hoping that you'll be able to, to bring all your history, all your current foolishness, and lay, them, lay that at the feet of this king and to walk away with a degree of Advent joy because of God's mercy and grace that he gives to us in and through Jesus. So let's do that by looking at 1 Samuel. It's on page 13 of your worship guide. And uh, I would like to say, this is a great text for Advent, and it would be wonderful if I had planned it out in exquisite detail, but it didn't happen that way. It just kind of sort of fell out as we were laying out the preaching this way, but I'm, I'm very thankful for it. So we're going to read uh, the first nine verses and then the last set of verses and talk about those, and then we'll read the rest of it later. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations, the Gentiles. Be, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now we'll, we'll break there, and Samuel's going to warn them about all these things, and then come down to verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, the Gentiles, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. And we want to uh, just 
look at that text and say, here the people of Israel make a foolish demand of the Lord, just like you and I have made foolish demands of the Lord in the course of our lives. So what's the story here? They, they, you've got to keep in mind that the chapter just prior to this, the whole flow of the book of Samuel goes like this. Oh, Hophni and Phinehas are blaspheming the Lord. So the Lord abandons Israel. The, 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 the Philistines overtake them. The ark is taken away. And finally in chapter 7, we get around to repentance. And they repent. And then the Lord hears their prayer and he thunders against the Philistines and puts them in flight and they rout the Philistines. So you got to understand that, that the Lord, with no visible physical king has just defended his people and done all this for him. So now you have this irony where they turn around in the next chapter and go, yeah, uh, we want a king. And uh, this is the, the point in the book where you see the word judge, like in the book of Judges, can either mean a person who adjudicates cases or it can also mean a military leader. And here you have uh, both of them, Samuel's sons were, were faulty judges. And then they say, we want a king to judge us in verse 5. And what that means is we want a leader king. And you see that that's true because later on they say, we want to be like all the Gentiles around us. I mean, they have their gods and they have a visible king. And we want him to go out and fight our battles. We want him to be a military leader. And in essence, what they're saying is, Lord, your rule over us and your deliverance of us when we're walking with you isn't sufficient. We really want to be like the Gentile nations around us. And, and the Lord equates this with idolatry. He says, uh, and I'm not sure how Samuel, uh, Samuel's identity got tangled up in this. I'm not really going to go there. But the Lord says to Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me, just like they've gone and chased after other gods all these years. So there's, there's idolatry in saying, we don't, want, we don't like the way the Lord is ruling over us. Even though he just delivered us, we want to do something different. And so when we, we come to this then and we sort of back up and go, well, what does this have to do with us? Well, pretty much everything. <laughs> and I think that we can all relate to the idea here that when difficulties have arisen in our lives, it's very, very easy for us in our sin to say, Lord, your management of my life I don't like. Now, often we would never say that out loud, but our grumbling, our complaining, the depth of our disconsolation, our lack of true heartfelt thanksgiving really betrays that this is true. So those of you who've been married for a long time, uh, maybe you have gone through periods of time where you said, Lord, it would have been better for me to have a different spouse. And maybe if your kids aren't behaving the way that you want them to, you would say, Lord, why can't I have kids like Johnny over there? He seems to be doing really, really well. Or it could be your job. Now, I just want to be clear. I'm looking out at you, and I'm thinking, none of you probably would say that out loud, right? 
we're too spirit we're really too spiritual for that we would just either secretly or publicly grumble complain uh, not give thanks so one of the things that we have to address when we're talking about rebelling against the Lord like this in, in, in gratitude is we have to talk about what do you do when there's real evil in your life. Sometimes a spouse is evil to their spouse. Sometimes there's real evil in the world. Well, the Lord is not the author of evil, but he is sovereign over evil in our lives. And he tells us to give thanks in every circumstance. So it's not a call to be thankful for the existence of evil or evil in our lives, but it's a call to say, if I'm in Christ and I've been raised with Christ, I've been forgiven for my sins, I'm a son or daughter of God. Lord, this evil you have brought into my circumstances that I might give you praise in it that you're going to have the final victory over evil that I might draw very very near to you as a son or daughter and rely on the Holy Spirit I mean we all know that suffering hardship difficulty drives us to cling to the risen Christ by faith and so we can always give thanks that the Lord, those who are in Christ, that the Lord is with you right in the very middle of suffering, even evil, at those times. And so this is really a call as we look at this to come back here and say, will you trust, will you trust God's good management of your life and story, whatever that involves? And will you let it not put you down a road of bitterness and despair, but in a place of, of ardent trust? And to say, and again, this is exactly, I'm not going to make foolish demands of the Lord. And you know, you're, we're not fatalists and we're not quietists. You can pray for healing. You can pray for deliverance. And God may deliver you and, and heal you and do all kinds of things in his time. But while you're on the way there, you, you can say, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And this is what the Israelites completely lost. Lord, I would like to have a life that you manage like the people down the street. They seem to be getting along just handsomely. So that's the first thing, is that the Israelites had foolish demands, and we also are given over to foolish demands, uh, sinful demands in our lives. And, and really the hub of that in many ways is, is ingratitude. And then the second thing that you see is those foolish demands really end up with uh, foolish entanglements, or even we would call them slavery are necessary enslavement. So let's look then at verses 10 through 18. This is what it said. These are Samuel's warnings that the Lord told him to give to the people. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, 
These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers and he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants." He will take the tenth of your grain of your vineyards and give it of, of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. This is really the, the highlight verse for me. This all that running commentary, you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now, I want to just go on record as saying there's a mystery in this passage because uh, I think you have to chronologically put Deuteronomy before 1 Samuel. Uh, Moses was uh, at least the composite author of those things. And uh, he had already provided that there was going to be a king. We know in the trajectory of the history of the church, that king was going to, to come. And so... God was going to bring a king one way or another, but it looks like it happened through their sin and their regulations for, for a king. But what they were warning, he was warning them that you, you have this sinful propensity right now to demand a king in your sin. Apparently it wasn't, the timing wasn't right and he is going to rule over you. It's going to cost you. And so, the, the application, I think, for us that we, we want to take to heart and we want to be in line with is whenever I say, whenever I say, Lord, I don't like your management of my life, I think it would be better if this is going to bring some form of enslavement to you. Another way to say this is that our idols are enslaving idols, our idols tend to enslave us. And so you can just go through the list and think, if you say, my spouse has to act a certain way for me for my life to work, my spouse has to either be like this, act like this, relate to me like this, or, or my life is just going to be miserable. It can't be any other way. Well, then now you're in charge of manipulating your idol to come through for you. And that's enslaving You've got to be anxious about it. You've got to think about it. You've got to give your time and energy and emotion to it. The same thing's true for, for children. If you say, for life to be worth living for me, I, I, my children have to turn out a certain way. Well, then, then you're enslaved to that. You've got to figure out the right school. You've got to figure out the right place. You've got to figure out everything right and make it happen. And you know what happens when our idols fail us in general? We despise them. We, we put it up and say, you've got to serve me. And then when we find out that it's all cracked and broken, we despise them. And see, that can be true for your job, your retirement account, your whatever that all those things that, that you're going to, to say you've got to make life work, then you, you're going to have to serve that, whether it's a person, an idea, a thing, whatever it is. And that's what you see here. 
And so I think it's, 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 I usually don't talk about this stuff very much. I think this thread and line of thinking is one of your strongest arguments for limited government, right? If you want the government to rescue you from everything, it's going to cost you. And, and that's exactly what this is about. It's a governmental thing. But it's true, really, uh, across the board in, in, on all fronts. And so what, what shall we do about that? Uh, what, what we should do about that is to say, Lord, um, I give up my idols. And you can just think through, what, what's your demand today for making life work? What's your hope for making life work? That I stay healthy? It's going to cost you. That I keep my job at all costs? It's going to cost you. That my family relate to me in certain ways? It's going to cost you. You're going to have to serve somebody. So do you see, really, both of these points... Both of these points, that we make foolish demands of the Lord and that results in kind of necessary enslavements are simply a call back again to clear the decks with an absolute surrender to the Lord. Now, I can't sort out for you what all those details are. And if you have friends or people who know you well, it would be really good to sit down and talk with them and sort of sort out, you know, what am I looking to to try to make life work? What am I serving and enslaving myself to instead of the Lord? And really listen. I'm just smiling. Is it possible that we could listen to our spouses, for those of us who are married? I think by grace, it really is possible. You see, you're if you're married, and those of you who are single, you're not, you're not, you know, the Lord can work with you too. But if you are married, your spouse becomes a great source of sanctification, right? Nobody knows you like your spouse. And, and that person can tell you, I think these are your idolatries. I'm just deciding with myself whether I really want to listen to that or not. <laughs> I, I do, I do really, until it actually happens, I think. Um, but then there's this final thing, and that is this. You see in this, in this text that's written large all over it, the Lord is going to give them the king they desire, and it's going to end up being much better than they ever imagined. You see through this text, the Lord had purposed to give them a king. They're sinfully and foolishly demanding a king right now, he warns them about the complications of that. And yet it was God's purpose to bring a king. And now Saul is going to fail quickly. David is going to follow him, and he's really the best king, right? But he's got big gaping holes in his character. And you know what? Um, David said, you will not abandon me to the grave or let your Holy One see decay. But he did. That's Peter's sermon. You can go find his bones right there. So where is all this going? That the Lord, gracious and mighty, is, has given us a gracious and mighty king in Jesus. This is where all this is going. Give us a king to judge us, to rule over us, 
And God, in the course of time, you know, a thousand years later, says, now the eternal Son of God, the eternal Son of God with the Father from all eternity, very God of very God, is conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. God sends his mighty, gracious king to save and rule over his people. And he lived sinlessly and voluntarily went to a cross to bear the the consequence and cost of our foolish rebellion, of all of our idolatries, that those who trust in him might be fully forgiven and graciously restored. He was raised from the dead. He lives forever, unlike any of the kings that you find in the Old Testament. And those who trust in him, those who receive Christ, as we celebrate his advent, those who take him as Savior by grace and through faith, are joined to him to live forever. And so here's this good news that comes out of this. This good news that comes out of this. If you will turn today once again and walk with Jesus, or maybe for the first time put your trust in him, he's going to take the ugly fabric of all those idolatrous decisions, and he's weaving together a tapestry that's beautiful and glorious for him. Jesus is saving idolatrous sinners, and it doesn't matter where you've been or where you're coming from. He can take the mess you've made or the mess you're contemplating right now and in faith and repentance turn it at his return into something very beautiful where we'll all stand, uh, we'll all stand around and go, wow, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, look what you have done in and through that life. You are all glorious. You are to be praised. You're the Savior. You're the King. Now, is anybody hearing that going to run out and say, well, if Jesus is going to turn it all around to be something beautiful, let me sin all the more so that grace may abound? Is it even possible? It's not even possible that you would really hear that good, gracious, and glorious news and run out and say, let me, let me sin all the more so that grace and beauty might abound. So this is a real glorious invitation to joy, glorious invitation to fresh repentance, glorious invitation to new faith, and a glorious resolution of shame. Why don't, we, why don't we all bring our shame, the things that would be most embarrassing for you to divulge, the things that hound you in the middle of the night, and say, Jesus has taken us all away. This is Advent. This is the glorious King. He's going to make something beautiful even out of this disordered life. God has given his foolish people, a mighty and gracious king. We join me in praying. Father, uh, we come to you now and we ask you to take this text and take this Advent Sunday 
and write these things on our hearts? Lord, will you send us today as we go singing with joy, rejoicing with great exultation because of the glory and beauty of Christ who saves sinners. Living God, we give ourselves to you afresh today. Be honored in and through us. In Christ's name, amen.